Welcome to season three of the second chapter. I am so excited to be back with a whole new season of amazing women who have changed their lives after 35. I'm your host, Kristen Duffy. If you're new to the podcast, welcome. And if you're back for more, thank you and keep spreading the word. It's working. Today, I'm joined by Laura Kelly. Laura is a singer-songwriter who sings and writes about the middle space, which we'll talk more about during our chat. She sings live just for us too, so stick around for that. So I think that's part of the undoing of, of as women as we're moving into a new day and age and culture is what do we want to offer ourselves? Like when is our prime and don't we get to choose that? I wrote the song called Beautiful That Way and one of the lines is, I don't need the eye of the beholder to tell me what he sees because I get to tell myself what I see. Hi, Laura. Welcome. I'm so excited you're here today. How are you? I'm doing well. How are you? Good to see you. Yeah, it's great to see you too. So many miles away. Oh, I can't believe it. It's what, for something your time? Yes. Yes. It's 11.15 here. So I'm on the East Coast in Virginia. It looks so sunny too. I can just see sunshine coming in your window. I'm feeling particularly jealous. I know it is. We're finally like we're moving into spring right now. So hope, hoping there's a little bit of hope in the air. You're wearing sleeveless. I've got on a wool jumper. <laughs> it's so unfair. Well, granted, I do have my heat on right now. That way I can wear sleeveless. I thought this would this would look cuter, even though I know or not, no one can see me, but I can see myself and I need to look I can cute see for you. myself and you and for you. Yeah. So I've got that. I was like, crank the heat up, wear a sleeveless outfit. It's going to be great. Very nice. Very nice. So we were talking a bit before we started recording, but I feel like you're a slightly different guest than I normally have, though you do have some changes to talk about. But what's really interesting about you for me is that you, as a musician, as a songwriter, you've changed, I guess, your outlook. I want to use a quote that I found of yours. Making music about the magic and mundane of being in this middle space between ingenue and retiree. Yes. (laughs) That's true. I did write that. (laughs) It's true. Yes. So So what I really wanted to talk to you about was your change in music and what you're writing about. But I would love to start a little bit because it's very hard to find more about the ingenue version of you. So just so we can get to know you a little better, tell me about your background. Yes. So I am from Texas originally by way of Mississippi. So I'm from from the South in the States. and But I grew up in Texas and I was always into music, loved to write, and also loved hair and makeup. And so that was the first thing I stepped into as I graduated from college and I had been doing hair and makeup for theater and all of these different things while I was also playing and singing. But for some reason, a hair and makeup seemed more practical. I don't know why. It just seemed like a more practical thing that it was something I could actually get my head wrapped around as a career that I could do versus music felt nebulous to me. I wasn't exactly sure how I would get into doing music. So I first, uh, the first thing that I did for about 15 years was hair and makeup. I, I started doing makeup for, I worked for Laura Mercier. She's a, an actual person who has a cosmetic line and I'm actually wearing her lip stain. Oh, I love, I love Laura Mercier. I love her line and I love her. I, she's French and I actually, I got to meet her a few times and observe her work and She was like, you know, I'm going to botch this very bad French accent, so forgive me and cut this out if it sounds just terrible, okay? 
But she was like, you can do the, t- the Botox, but never go under the knife. And so I was 18, you know, at the time. And I was like, okay, she is speaking to me. She is French. They do everything effortlessly and beautifully. So at some point I'm allowed to get Botox, but I may never go under the knife. <laughs> so I just sort of filed that away, you know, as this young person. I was like, okay, it's coming for me, whatever this is. And so that's what I did. I did that. I loved it. I loved doing makeup. I loved working with people's faces. I loved getting to hear people's stories. I think one of the most beautiful things about doing makeup is that for a lot of my clients, they were I was probably the one person who touched them that day. Oh. And right? And so yeah. it's just such a tender kind thing, especially someone's face. It's so intimate to be so close to someone's face and to be working with their face and beauty is such a there's so much trauma for people a lot of times wrapped up in their face and and how they see themselves and so it was always such a gift to be able to engage with someone's face in a way that when they when I was done with them they looked like themselves I love natural I love people to look like who they are but that they were able to look in the mirror and feel the sense of rest in their body and I oh my gosh I got to do teenagers and there's nothing like working with a teenager who has acne and and when you're done with them they they actually can you can actually physically see their face lighten up as they see themselves because acne is so hard. So I I did hair and makeup for a long time. I loved that. I love teaching women how to engage with their bodies, how to enjoy enjoy their bodies and enjoy color and play and uh, all of those things and to be comfortable in their skin. And at the same time, I loved doing music. So I was playing guitar and writing music and I was very broody in college. (laughs) Love song, breakup, sad, 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 misery, you know. And then I did all of that coming through. I moved to Virginia in 2007 and met my husband and he was a photographer and it was just a natural, you know, symbiotic relationship between photography and hair and makeup. Did you meet him as part of a job or anything? I, so I came to Virginia to do a leadership development program and I met him. I was working, so I studied writing in college and political science and I was writing, I was working at a custom publishing company. So they did, they do, they actually design, it's called Journey Group. It's still in Charlottesville and they design stamps for the philatelic catalog, the, the stamp. Like, I know it's a thing. Like, what is and that? <laughs> I know. If you've ever seen the, so there's a new Star Wars stamp coming out in the United States, right? And they design that stamp. Okay, what is that? What is this? <laughs> yeah, I know. There's people who collect stamps. There's a whole stamp thing. Stamps are a thing, and so that's just one subset of what they do. They do a lot of other really interesting things. But anyway, so I was working there because I had studied writing and was intern. That was part of my internship for this program. And my husband walked in at the time. He had like a buzzed head and a soul patch and like these baggy jeans. And he's like, hey. And I was like, hey. You know, so that's how I met him. He was just really nice. He was so nice. I had dated, you know, a bunch of people who were, I don't know, confused about who they were. And I was confused about who I was. And I, when I met Eric is his name, I was like, just so nice. Like, you're going to be a nice person to be married to. And then he was studied photography and I did, I was doing hair and makeup still. And so we began to work together and I did hair and makeup in Virginia 
from for about 10 years, nine years, something like that. But at the same time, I was still writing. I wanted to write music and I just had this war in my heart about writing and I wanted to do poetry. I thought about getting my MFA and eventually I was doing so much hair and makeup. I had 40 weddings a year and we had two children and it was just so much. So I decided to take a sabbatical and that was around the time that I switched. I should also say you mentioned your husband and that he's a photographer and that you were doing all these weddings and everything, but he is like a super highly regarded, amazing, amazing wedding photographer. I I have to also put his link when we do the show notes because the photos on Instagram took my breath away. Absolutely amazing. So oh. presume, yeah, so good. Yeah. yeah, he is really good and he's worked so hard. He has really worked. I'm just going to gush for a second, but he's just worked so hard over the course of his life. He studied fine art at UVA and came out and did uh, photojournalism. And we got to work together doing all kinds of really interesting shoots and had our own kind of tangential lives that complemented each other. And it's it's been really beautiful to watch his work progress. So yeah, I think he's really great. Yeah, it's not about yeah. him, but but I was very impressed. So I definitely oh, want I people to, <laughs> and I definitely want people to look it up because I just, you know, I I usually I love a little Instagram photo porn, and that was just photo porn. That sounds so wrong. No, it's fine. <laughs> no, I totally get porn, it. Yeah. Wedding porn, yeah, even better. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, good. I know it's real. It, it is real. Yeah, yeah. So really beautiful. Okay, so you took a sabbatical because it was just obviously at this point you have two kids. It's it's becoming a lot. Yes, I in his career, both of our careers were moving at the same time and his like how do I how do I describe this? I think I think you know women across the board and and men and families in general struggle to figure out how do you do all the things, you know? How yeah. do you have two working parents and children and dogs and a house and and then hobbies and you know how do you live your life in a way that feels like you're honoring all the parts of your life right cuz i don't really like the word balance cuz i think balance is a misnomer it's you know i don't know I have a weird relationship with it. people are always like, how do you do work-life balance? And I'm like, I don't know. I don't even know what that means. But it's it's more just like, how do you honor all of those parts of your life? And so for me, I had to take a step back and think for myself, because sometimes when you're when you're young, or for me when I was young and I got started doing this, it's just, you know, the word career had the base root of it is careen. And you can just get a sense of, you know, careening down a path and there's just this, it can take you over. And I felt, I started to feel like that. I was like, blah, this is taking me over. So I decided to take a pause because I was missing, for me, I was missing things that I wanted to be a part of. I wanted to go to children's birthday parties and I wanted to be there on the weekends and I didn't want to be worn out, you know, and then my kids started getting into school and so their schedule started shifting and and so from for me, I, I just had to, I was like, I need to take a pause. I need to take a pause and get a sense of where do I want to go? Where do I want to go from here? It's, yeah. it's interesting because 
I love how empowering, first, I love how empowering what you're talking about makeup is, because I feel like you don't think about the, how empowering something like makeup could be. You know, we look at the kind of bad side of it sometimes as women, as feminists, you know, do I have to do this? But it can also be incredibly empowering. Sorry, I went back a ways. But no, also- let's just pause there for a second. I think that's so great because here's the thing. You don't have to do it. That is my biggest thing that I tell people because I do coaching for people. And I'm like, listen, there's almost nothing in this life you have to do. Now, does that mean that there might be a consequence? Like if you, you don't have to take care of your children, CPS will take them from you, but you don't right. have to do it and you don't have to wear makeup and, but, but you can. And so if you want to, it's like, how do I do it in a way that feels good to me? That's how I think about it. So, and I would agree with you because I feel like I like the way I look with a little bit of makeup on. Like you said, I'm very natural as far as, yeah, I could just never do a whole, even, yeah, that's not me. But I do like sometimes freshening up. It feels really good. But I also like that it's my choice. I don't have to do anything I don't want to do. But I also think the reason I brought it up now was because I think there's something really empowering to be able to say, I want to go to a children's birthday party. Or a guest I was speaking to recently said, when she had kids, like the idea of singing in a, I don't know, singing in a, I can't remember what she even exactly called it, but the idea of sitting and singing on a Sunday in something was like, I want to stab my eyes out. That is not her thing. But I love that there's that, you know, for me, what I want as a mother or what I want as a woman is this. And having that choice is really empowering. Oh, yes, 100%. And I think I have to remind myself that because I can get into anytime I start having that kind of frenetic, you know, stress feeling, the question I always ask myself is, oh, okay, so why is my life beginning to feel like it's happening to me instead of I'm happening it to it? And and a lot of times what it drills down to is that I'm having, th- is that my thoughts are starting to drive me and I'm not quite sure what my thoughts are. So I have to take some time to think through that. And usually what's behind it is that there's a decision I have to make that I'm not making. I'm, I'm being indecisive. And all of our power, at least in my opinion, is comes from making decisions, comes from owning what we, what we're thinking and then making a choice, (laughs) making choices out of that. So, yeah. So for, so for me, I, that's what I had to do is I had to sit down and I had to say, I'm having the feeling of being pulled all over the place. And what is it that I want? And what is it that I'm believing that's driving me? You know, if, if it's the sense of I have to do this, or if I don't do this, things won't be well, or, you know, just kind of getting, getting a sense of my mental terrain helps me a lot to bring clarity to, to feel more empowered about the choices I'm making. So at this point, you say, I want to spend more time with my kids. But luckily, you're also a writer. And luckily, you also have a great voice and all that play the guitar. Thank you. (laughs) So it starts to become more about the music. Yes. So I, at that time, I took two, I took a pause and I had two thoughts. I, I wanted to go back to school for counseling. I had wanted to either get my MFA or go back to school for counseling. So I I was finding myself in in a lot of different situations where I was holding people's stories. And I talked a little bit about that as a makeup artist that, and I think hair people are the same thing. You sit in a chair, you know, and there's just very few places in life where we have, where we're drawn out as people, Yes, you know, drawn out into ourselves where there's a space held for us to tell our stories and to pause and get a sense of who we are. And 
So I was finding that I was doing a lot of holding, a lot of holding of people's stories. And so I thought maybe I wanted to go back and do a master's in counseling or something like that. Mm -hmm. And, and also I wanted to do music, but I was scared of it. So I had all this fear and all of this shame and all of this just terror around music. So it was operating in the background as this Again, not I wasn't making a decision. I did not make a decision about music. It was just this passive experience that was happening to me all the time. It's like music, music, music. I'm like, shh, you're impractical. <laughs> yes. Do you? you need to stay on the shelf and be quiet. This is not going to work. So let's take another practical route. What I did was I, I did this. I began doing work in narrative trauma care or story work and went out and did a program out in Seattle at the Seattle School of Psychology and Theology. They have an institute there called the Allender Center and went out and did a certificate in narrative trauma care and then loved that. I just thought it was absolutely beautiful, began to do my own work on my own self to own my own stories of trauma. And and so from there, did that. I did the certificate too, did an externship and just began pressing into that work and began to work with other people to help coach them through their stories, both past and then how they want to move forward into the present. And as I started doing that work, just music kept coming back to me. This is nagging me to death. And it's you have to talk to me. This is something you've been doing since I could hold a tune since I was like 18 months old and could sing my ABCs and just loved it, loved it, loved it. But I was at war with my own desire. And so as I was finally able to name some of those things for myself, I began to step into doing it with more intentionality, Okay, making the choice, I right. guess you could say. It's taken, a lo- it's taken a long time. I don't know if you feel the same way, but I think anytime, I think for me, like when I talk to creative people, there is, there can be quite a bit of a bind around, around doing creative work sometimes, depending Absolutely. on what your story is. Yeah. I, I really relate to what you say about practicality because for me, growing up in a large family and, you know, money was always up and down. We weren't always poor, but we certainly had many times that we did not have enough with six kids and would I have been an actor straight out of high school, gone, you know, studied it or absolutely. Did I feel like it was something I could do? No. Was it always in the back going, wah, 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 like you said? Absolutely. And I think it's only when I felt more comfortable financially that I tried it. And even now it's just, it's one of those things. All, all creative fields are, are a little bit risky. So I took the practical. I'll be a designer because I know there are actual job. You could picture what a job was for a fashion designer. And it's just so interesting though, because I have people, I meet with young people sometimes and they're like, how did you do makeup? You know, I would be like, how did you do design? And so for somebody else, it's like my career that I thought was so practical for me seems so crazy for somebody else. They can't even visualize it. Or for my husband, for for photography, he could see a totally a clear path on how he was going to make that possible. And yet he coaches people all the time who are like, ah, I'm in banking and I don't know, but I want to be a photographer and Mm -hmm. they can't see it, you know? And so much of it is just this mind drama that we have around, around our callings, I think. And I calling it use loosely because I know sometimes that language sounds weird. Just that seed within our hearts of where we know we'll be integrated. Like we know we'll be stepping into our integrity about what we're supposed to do in the world. There's just so much war around that, I think, sometimes. I don't know. 
Is that sounding true for you? I don't know. Absolutely. And I do think at the end of the day, we have these things we want to do, but you also think of a job as a way that you're going to eat. You're going to put a roof over your head. And it's sort of like, can this, and especially for you, if you're to the point where you have kids and, you know, I know your husband's successful, but at the same time, you just, you have to make things work. <laughs> oh, yes. And we've done crazy things. Some when, when we got to that place where I started doing music and I took a step back and we were with kids, you know, I was home with my kids. We also started doing, I, I don't know if you've heard of Dave Ramsey. We did his program on financial independence. <laughs> so this was like <laughs> seven years ago. And we we're like, we're getting out of debt. We're never going to have debt again. And so we just, that was part of our hustle was to get out of debt. We sold our house. We took some of that money and paid off some of our debt and then moved into a smaller house and then lived there and just, just did a lot of crazy, and it's not crazy things, but just did some pretty dramatic things. Just did the work to, to kind of slob off all those weights and to become more financially independent and to own. And all of that's just a part, I guess, of us trying to grow up, you know, because we started really young. We got married young and had kids young and did our started our careers really young. So just we were trying to grow up at the same time, you know, we we're like children raising children, trying to become adults. It's a lot. So yeah, yeah. it's yeah. Yeah. But as you're growing up, your songwriting and your music started growing up as well, which is what I think was really interesting about the quote that I said at the beginning is that, you know, you were writing songs about being young and then suddenly, I don't know, your, was it your 30s hit? <laughs> yeah. I don't know. How was your 30s for you? Were you like, wow, this is great at first? At first. <laughs> no, my 30s are great now. I just mean to say at first as I was coming up to my 30s, I was like, shit. Am I allowed to say that? Sorry. Yeah, ah, it's coming. Oh, my gosh. You know, and, and there's a lot of mind drama in that, too. I don't, you know, there's just a lot of thoughts that were offered by culture about what is middle age? What does that mean for us? What is aging? You are aging. You know, that's a thought that people give you a lot. You're aging, you're aging, you're aging. I'm like, thank you so much. I just don't really need that thought. It's not like, really serving me. I don't really know what I'm supposed to do with that. Great. So is everybody else. Like a two-year-old is also aging. Exactly. So great. That's just so helpful. Better um, than the alternative, as they say. Thank you. Okay. So, right. So, yeah, I think for me, like coming into, I had to do a lot of work around around that for myself. And and then I just started realizing I have a great songwriter who I love. Her name is Lori McKenna. She's amazing. She um, it lives in Boston. She has five kids. She's older. And so I found her and discovered some of her music. And a lot of it is personal things she writes. And it is about that middle space of life. And I just found myself really attracted to that, to those songs, to those stories. And I had to dig for them. I feel like I've had to dig for, you know, to look, look for them. And I felt like the music that was being offered me was either music from my adolescence. So pulling on my nostalgia, music right. I listened to from 16 to like middle twenties. And so constantly calling me back to that age you listen to it. And when I was like, I just don't know how much that is serving me to be like living in that space all the time. That's a, a past oriented space. And I think a lot of times we, there, that can bring up a lot of grief depending on how you think about it. And I just didn't want to be living there. And I don't mind listening to those songs, but I would like to have inspiring music for right now. Or the music I was being offered is 
music and pop culture, which is, which is great. And I, there's nothing against it at all. And I, in fact, I love to run to it and, you know, it's, it's very catchy and hooky and all of those things, but still not stories that pertain to where I am in my life. Right. I am not, I'm not 15, 16, 17, 18. I am not breaking up and getting back together with people. I'm not drinking beer on a Friday night. You know, I have, that's just not my story. And I was like, I need some, I need some music that is relatable to where I am. I want some music about the stuff that I'm doing. And I have a lot of friends who I think want music like that. So that, that was where that quote came from is that I was like, I just want to write music about where I am presently, you know, not where I've been or the past, but the present. So you mentioned um, selling your house and, you know, trying to get out of debt and everything. But one of the things that led to the album, the current album, is that you moved in back in with your mother or your husband's mother? No, yeah, my mother. And But oh, this was sorry, in the- Virginia. So she's she's now in Virginia as well. She's in Virginia, yes. So, she, she moved from Texas. So it's you and your husband and two kids or... Three kids. We have three kids. Yeah. But when you move into, but when you moved with your mother, this was was the baby born, or <laughs> where were you in she, that journey? She was born. Yes. Okay. So I know it's so hard to explain. It's such a everybody's story is so long, and the older you get, the longer it is. But I, yes. So we, when the pandemic hit, we were living close to where my mom lives, and we were planning on building a house. And then COVID hit and everything was just upended. Weddings for Eric at the time were not booking or they were canceling or they were shifting. And so overnight, basically our source of income just evaporated. Yes. And that was pretty crazy. And and I know that's true. That was true for a lot of people. And so I was, so let's see, I, so she was 12 weeks. And ah. yeah, right. <laughs> ah, so I was still postpartum and it was crazy. It was really crazy. And we just took a very conservative approach. I tried to read as well as everybody's trying to read. And, you know, you're trying to make guesses about what's going to happen or what could possibly happen and started thinking about how the wedding industry books. And as I was thinking, you know, most of our work books a year in advance. So we were, so we're photographing every year for a a wedding photographer, anybody in the wedding industry is typically executing contracts and booking new contracts. Mm -hmm. So that's where your income comes from it. It's from completing a contract or booking a new contract for the following year. And so when COVID hit, we were not able to execute or complete any contracts because those were either canceled or shifted, moved to the mm-hmm. next year, and no one was booking new contracts. So what that means too is that if you're not booking new contracts, then you also don't have work for the next year. And we had clients who were rescheduling for next year. So they were taking dates for the next year that other people, if they did want to book, couldn't book. So it was like half rate. So we were doing things half rate all, and trying to honor our clients because obviously nobody expected this. And so we just looked at that and I was like, okay, so that, so what is the ripple effect? That means that if we shift all of our clients from this year and end up basically moving these clients to the following year and executing those contracts, and maybe we don't know when the pandemic will be over till the middle of 2021, no one is going to feel comfortable booking until maybe the end of 2021, which means we won't be booking new contracts till the end of 2021 (laughs) and therefore won't be executing any contracts till 2022. This is going to take us three years to recover from this, maybe four or five plus lost income, whatever that is. So 
I I just said, I said, I think we should sell our house and move in with my mom. She has enough space for all of us. And I think that will protect us from the economic repercussions of what's coming, what I think is coming. And so we did. We listed it. We sold it. We sold a bunch of our furniture. We consolidated and we moved in to live with my mom. And that's how we, and we're still here. And we're planning on building a house. Uh, we bought some land in there, but I don't know. I don't know how long it's going to take us to get out of this house. I told him, I was like, I'm not leaving until we have a house that we're going to. Because I love my mom so nice to me. I feel like for me, my boyfriend makes fun of me because whenever I'm around my mom, I turn into a teenager again. I love going to visit her and she takes very good care of me, I have to say. It, it, I, it would not last because I am suddenly 16 again and I'm just, mom, about <laughs> it would be so bad. You are so lucky. I think, you know, we've had to do our own work. You know, I, I'm, that was the one thing, like when the minute the pandemic hit, I was like mental health. That's the big thing. Like for me, that was the thing I was like, this is going to be, we're having, the world is having an, a collective traumatic experience. My children are, are going to be experiencing their own trauma. My husband has lost his entire job that he's worked for. Yes. For the last, you know, whatever. I have a new baby. There's a lot of isolation. My mom had just moved here and had had her own traumatic experiences. And I was like, if we do anything, we need, we all need to be talking with somebody to be working through what this is going to look like. We need to be very kind and compassionate to ourselves and to each other. And so we've just done a lot of work. Everybody has their person to some degree that they talk to to just be like, this is what's coming up for me. These are the issues that I'm facing. This is how I'm interpreting this, you know, just trying to trying to take care of ourselves because it's really hard. I mean, life is hard. And especially now it's extra, there's just extra layers of that. Yeah. I, I had so. a really nice text from a friend yesterday because I just was having a moment and she just, she just said, it's been a perk of a year. Like <laughs> it's, we're all going to feel that way. It just reminded me that this is not me. This is not, I don't know. It's, it's just everyone right now and, it, and it's okay. But what you said about having somebody to talk to is really good too. Because even just a text from a friend who knew I was having a moment was enough to make me go, oh, okay, my day's a little bit better than it was before. Yeah, we, we're made for a connection. I think as people, it's really important. It's one of the most important things that we can offer each other is I think to see each other's faces and to hold space for one another. And I think that's the only way we, not the only way we've gotten through this, but one of the big, one of the big ways that we've been able to manage the emotional train and the disruption of this year is to, and it's not easy. I'll just take a pause. Like it's not easy to ask for help. I think that is, that's the biggest thing, but we do need help. We need help to, to get through. (laughs) We do. It's, we're people. We need we need yes. help. So one of the reasons I brought up your mom's house, though, is because it's hard to say mom because now I'm always saying mom. My mom's house. <laughs> your mom's house. One of the reasons I did bring up you staying there is because there's something about waking up disoriented. And I almost said disorientated because everyone here says disorientated. Dis- oh, they do? So disoriented. And just, I, I feel like at least reading about it, that the album just flowed. Like the songs, the writing just flowed from there. Yes. Yeah. I, I wrote, so a song I'll hopefully get to play with you, pray for you. It's called Waking Dream. And it's about 
it is about contending with loss and the sense of disorientation that this year has brought because it it has felt as if we were going in one direction and then we you know something happened and we were clicked off into a different timeline and so the life i thought i was going to lead before the pandemic doesn't exist anymore it's it's gone and i'm not even the same person that i was when the pandemic started so i don't even know if all of that was still available to me if i would choose the self that I was. I'm just not the same. And so the experience of what that looks like and then and then where do we go from here? Just noting that we're going into, we can't go back to where we were. And it is interesting that you started writing about a different time in your life anyway, and then life changed for all of us. And combining those two, it seems like a natural fit to, to make an album. Yeah, so the album I... It's called Domestique, and I, I that word came to me, I don't know, three or four years ago as I was thinking about you know domestic work and and how it's just conveyed as so humdrum. And yet, if I'm able to still myself and if I'm able to take off all of the thoughts that are offered to me about the work that I do as a mother or as a creative person in a mother's body, or as a middle-aged woman. And there's so many thoughts offered to me by culture that are just really not very kind. And if I'm able to take those thoughts off and offer myself new thoughts, I mean, there's so much sensuality and there's so much magic available to me in this space. And so... I just, that's how I put those two things together. I was like a domestique, like it's mystical. There's so much access that I have to the sort of mystical space and the place that I am now that I didn't have access to in my, in my twenties. I didn't have access to when I was, you know, an adolescent and, and I think mothering is deeply sensual. I mean, there's so much use of our bodies as we engage with our children, as we engage with our partners, as we engage with the world and I think I get to, Brandy Carlyle says this in one of her songs. She's like, I get to, I get to live all these things over again through your eyes. And then she's talking about her daughter. And that's so true. Like I just have access to all of these things all over again, which is so fun. And so part of what I was trying to invite myself to, and hopefully other people to, is to lean into that mystical beauty that is available to us to offer ourselves new and different thoughts about this middle space that it's really robust and there's a lot of beauty in it. And that it doesn't have to be boring because I have to admit, as someone who doesn't have kids, I was like, oh yeah, she writes about being a mother. I don't know. How do I relate to that? What is it? But then to hear your music and hear you talk about it, it's just, it's another kind of, as you said, beautiful way of really being. And why should that be boring? If it's interesting to talk about being an angsty teenager in a song, why wouldn't you talk about, you know, the trials and tribulations of being a mother or being a middle-aged woman, even though I'm going to say you're not middle-aged, but you know, <laughs> you're here, getting there, the but thing. come on. <laughs> this is okay. So I think that is such a beautiful point, And I love that so much because yes, it's just thoughts people offer you. People offer those thoughts all the time. It's boring. It's contentious. It's conflict. It's like your body's falling apart. Oh, you're anticipating all these things or this is, you know. Can I quote you on that one? Yes. (laughs) But doesn't it feel like that? If you slow it down, that's what it sounds like when people are and all I hear now is just bullshit, bullshit, bullshit. Thoughts and thoughts and thoughts and thoughts. And none of that feels good. And 
thoughts are optional. I just can, I just say, you know, I don't want to think that. So I'm not going to because I don't have to. I don't know if you've ever watched uh, Hannah Gadsby. She's this amazing. Yes. Yes. Com- yes. She's yes. amazing. I love oh her. <laughs> yeah. I actually saw I guess- her live. Okay. So she's incredible. <laughs> and I watched both of her comedy shows on whatever streaming service that is on. Who can keep track of what streaming service we're on? I think it's Netflix. But, and she in, is her second one. Douglas, yeah. That's the one I saw live, I think. Oh my gosh, so good. (laughs) It's in there and there's connected to each other and and both should be watched and and also be really kind to your body as you watch them because there's a lot that she brings up. Yes. And there's a lot of dealing with trauma, but it's just handled in such a profoundly dynamic way that it's so necessary. But she talks about how an art, a male artist that I think it was Picasso. I don't, I don't know. I don't think it was Picasso. I don't remember who it was, but a male artist, older forties, married children, had an affair with a 17 year old. And when he was interviewed about it, he said, I was in my prime and she was in her prime. I think that is Picasso because I remember thinking, "Ugh, anything I liked about Picasso has now just gone. It's out the window. And I have so many feelings and thoughts about that. But I thought, wow, isn't that true? Isn't that what we've been offered as women? Your prime is 17. And doesn't that just make you want to stick up your middle finger and say, fuck you? That's that's offered to us by, by 40-year-old men. And so I, I am choosing to say, what would I offer myself? Because I, I can choose, like, why does he get to decide what my prime is? And so I think that's part of the undoing of, of as women, as we're moving into a new day and age and culture is what do we want to offer ourselves? Like when is our prime and don't we get to choose that? And I wrote the song called beautiful that way. And one of the lines is, I don't need the eye of the beholder to tell me what he sees because I get to tell myself what I see. And she says at the end, I I don't remember if it was at Douglas or Nanette, um, one of them, but she, now she's older and she's try your strength on me because she had had an experience of assault when she was younger. And so I think why we don't write music, this circles back to, why people leave out this age is because we have so much power. There is so much power in someone who crosses into their 30s all the way up until you get to be older as women. And we're not fooled anymore. And so culture sometimes just doesn't know what to do with that. It's like, if if we've handled women through this lens of, 17-year-old is your prime. Well, the only reason that is true is because she doesn't know anything of herself yet. She's still learning. And so she can be moved around and manipulated and told what to think and seduced and groomed. She's still a child. So yes. he, was a, he was a predator, right? He's He was, that was sexual abuse, yes. you know? And and you can do that to children. That's wicked. You can't do that to a 35-year-old woman. You you can, but it's harder to do. This is the age where we start showing up and being like, I didn't like that. Yeah. I didn't like that. And I don't like it. And I'm not going to do it anymore. Yeah. And so that's terrifying, I think. Yeah. So, whew, that was a lot. Sorry, I got on my little <laughs> box of soap. No, I loved soap it. box <laughs> and said all the things that I think out to you and everyone else. So welcome. To I absolutely love box. it though, because the the people who are just listening will not have seen me just shaking my head, like tell it like it is, because I absolutely agree with you. And I've probably said about 90% of what you just said 
word for word because I don't know, even like my marriage falling apart and I feel, I don't even know how to say it because, you know, I'm not in someone else's head, but there was definitely conflict around me growing up and being like, I'm not the same person I was when we met that I was, you know, I was what, 18 or something when we met. And I, I think lots of men can handle that. Seems like your husband can. Well done. Like him a lot. He's learning. <laughs> but, but you do kind of, I mean, you do have to face the fact that we grow and change. If you're starting to say, you know what, I've learned a little bit more about myself. And I think we as a society are learning more about, you know, the whole Me Too movement. And we're seeing things that we're like, I didn't even know this happened to everyone. But now that I know that, I'm not going to let it happen anymore. <laughs> Fuck yes. the 17 is your prime because it ain't. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yes. And and you don't want it to be. And I don't want that to be for her, you know? Mm-mm. Like I want every single woman to have the full breadth of their life. It's your life. You get to have all of it. And it shouldn't be defined by someone else's timeline who like the, the timeline is because it works for them, you know? I just, got, right before I was chatting with you, I was chatting with a friend who... She's just this amazing woman who probably has had, I don't know, three, four, five, six primes at this point. And she's about to turn 80, or she will in a year and a half. And she was talking about, oh, I hadn't even thought about the fact that I was going to be 80. And I'm talking to this woman going, this is the life I want. It's It ain't over till it's over. And she just, she's so vibrant and she's doing all these things. And that's the point of the whole podcast to begin with. But Yeah, uh, she's choosing. Her husband died when she was in her 50s. She didn't let that stop her. She's had two or three lives since then. And, you know, she always says she's the lucky one because she, she, she hasn't gotten remarried. She remembers him very fondly with tons of love, but she's gone on to live different lives than she would have. I think it's such a delicate balance in partnership. How do you remain intact as yourself and and know what it is that you need and also, and they know what it is that they need. And then how do you partner in that interdependence of, you know, being with each other? And that's hard, especially, you know, when you're, when we're so young, we come together and we have all of these things that we've been taught our autopilot ways of existing. And sometimes, you know, and, and we meet people who match perfectly with our kind of like ways that don't work sometimes. And so, and so it's kind of, it's inviting ourselves to, you know, to understand ourselves more and inviting each other, I think, into that, into that space too. But it's not easy. I've, as I've individuated, it's been hard for, for Eric. And as he's individuated, it's been hard for me too, to be like, oh, you're, you're your own person. You're not responsible for my feelings. Oh, I'm my own person. I'm responsible for my feelings. Me. Not you. It's hard, but it's it's good. It's worth it. It's worth it to do it. You know, we've we've heard a couple little strums as we've been chatting, and I, yes, you have kindly offered to play a song for me today, and I feel like you just were tuning your guitar while we were talking before, and I feel like I'm gonna start crying. <laughs> I'm really excited. I for my own for a moment personal private concert that will eventually go out to many people, but. What are you playing for us today? So I'm the song I'm going to play, it's called Waking Dream. And it's a song we referenced a little bit about moving in, in that space of disruption that I was talking about. So that's the song I'm going to play for you. Bob. Drape the chairs in white sheets. 
We bought them for the first home we made on that busy street. Twelve years of house keys. They don't work anymore except to unlock doors in my memory. The storm came in without telling us it would. Blew down all the trees, pulled up the roots we thought we'd planted for good. Take my hand, we can't go back to where we were. But if I close my eyes, I can see you standing there in that first house through the screen door, leaning in, whispering to me, I'll see you inside this waking dream. Unmarked boxes fill my mother's house. What's left of us outside of them we're finding out. Baby on my chest, kids sleeping on the floor. They said if God closed a window, he would open a door. But the storm came in without telling us it would. Blew down all the trees, pulled up the roots we thought we'd planted for good. Oh, take my hand, we can't go back to where we were. But if I close my eyes now, the lines begin to blur. And we're right there at the screen door as we used to be. I'll see you inside this waking dream. Ooh. Oh, take my hand, we can't go back to where we were. Take my hand, we can't go back to where we were. Take my hand. Take my hand, take my hand. I am teary. Thank you so much. <laughs> Thank you so much. Oh my gosh, it's so nice to play for somebody oh, else. Thank I feel you. so Such lucky. I feel oh. so lucky. Although it was so, so nice. So thank you. And and I think talking about whether the stories are boring of, you know, this middle life. I think that song could be, I could hear it in so many different ways. It can literally be about, you know, being discombobulated and having to move and covering the chairs. And it can be about a memory, just about about moving on in life and we're breaking up or, oh, I loved it. Thank you so much. Oh, thank you so much. Oh my gosh. It's just so, it really is. It's so nice to see your face. I know no one else can see your face, but I feel grateful to see your face and to have my face be seen by you is so nice. And to be able to play and I don't know, talk about the things, these things matter so much. So I'm, thank you for the opportunity. Well, I have to ask you one more question and you've given me so many. 
But did you bring a quote for me today? Yes, I have a very good quote. It's a Mary Oliver quote. Oh, love, love Mary Oliver. Mm. Oh, I know. She's just magic. I don't know why this came to me, but I think it's just beautiful. And it's from a longer poem, but I'll just read the, the part that, that I hold on to for myself. It says, someone I loved once gave me a box full of darkness. It took me years to understand that this too was a gift. I think in the work of story, and that's what songwriting is, and, and I think in this work of pressing into our this age that we're in, and so much of this age is uncovering those boxes of darkness we've been given and making them into gifts. And that's what I feel like I'm called to in this world. I love it. Beautiful. Beautiful quotes, beautiful singing, and I loved your soapbox. <laughs> Thank you. Oh, gosh. I'm like, how big is that soapbox and how many blocks of soap is it? It's a lot. But, Just um, climb on and tell your story. I love it. I, know. I love oh, it. Good. Thank you. I appreciate it. So thank you again so much for joining me. Thanks for telling me your story. And especially, especially thank you for the song. Thank you so much. I appreciate it. It was so nice to meet you. Yeah, same to you. Thanks again for listening. If you haven't subscribed or followed the Second Chapter podcast yet, what are you waiting for? It's free, and we would love to have you listening every week. The Second Chapter is brought to you by Slackline Productions, a production company dedicated to redressing the balance of women's stories being told and who's telling them, with a specific focus on women 35+. For more about Slackline, visit slacklineproductions.co.uk. Thanks again.